So you were asked, what is one thing you'd like or one way you'd like to serve God this year? I understand that question may be a very difficult one if you've already not given it some thought. And if you are honest, some of us are not thinking about how we should serve God or in what way we should serve God. We're actually asking, why should I serve God this year at all? You may think that God has done not much for you recently. So if he hasn't done anything for you, why should you serve him? In fact, God may be off your radar screen right now. Just because of the busyness of life, the circumstances you're in, or some misfortune, you didn't think he showed up. You may even think he's absent. You know, about 50 years ago, I came to the realization that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of forgiveness from others, but also and mainly from God. I turned to Jesus and have trusted Jesus ever since. I have desired to serve him, not as if I'm paying back a debt to him, though certainly I owe him one, but instead I look at it as giving thanks for the great gift of forgiveness that Jesus secures for each of us on his cross. I will never have enough to pay off that debt to eliminate it, and I owe it to him. But I can thank him all the time in the way that I live as I'm attached to him. I I give you that perspective because I want you to know that the world doesn't work this way. I was listening uh, this weekend to the National Association of Realtors, the NAR, not the NRA. And they spent the whole program interviewing members uh, who are in the process of building homes for Habitat for Humanity. Realtors are building homes, not buying and selling them. It's a good fit that realtors would help the needy into homes. But everyone interviewed repeated this same line, that this is a good way to give back to the community. In other words, the community has given something to them, and they're now giving it back. I'm not against that. But the problem was is that it deals with more than giving back to their community. Most of those who were interviewed did not live in the community where they were building a home. It was a sort of a a club project. Not only was it not their community, but everyone was mentioning how they could be contacted in his or her own community, how they could be reached online, and how they'd love to be your realtor if you lived in their area. You see, I call this being reciprocal. They did a good deed... And they gave information on how you could help them in their business. Now, I'm not superior to these people in any way. But I am saying thanks to God for his transformational work in my life. Things like publicity or news clippings or radio interviews, they're not needed. I am giving thanks to God for the work that he has done and continues to do in my life. Here at Bergen Park Church, we display our transformational model to visualize how we believe God is working through those who follow Jesus. You see this diagram of the three circles that intersect? You see, God transforms us spiritually when we, when He accepts us, forgives us, and gives us the the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But each personality experiences this transformation 
when we get involved with going deeper. In other words, we want a relationship with God that takes us deeper in knowing God and knowing his son, Jesus. Jesus, the exact representation of God the Father. So we want to be continually going deeper. But we also talk about growing closer. That means growing closer to one another because we learn by examples. And we need to put ourselves around examples who are less self-centered than we are, who are doing things for God that we aren't. And we find ourselves, in a good way, joining in with them in the work that God is doing. And we become more like Jesus through them. This week, we're looking at reaching farther. That means going beyond our Christian relationships and touching the lives who do not yet trust in Jesus like we do. So each of us may know what a Christian is and how to become one and be transformed by God like he is transforming us. Our desire is that others be transformed because they know us. We're not the transformers. But we're involved in that process of God touching their lives. So what do we do about reaching farther towards others? God desires to use his people to reproduce uh, more people who are transformed by him. And he has a multitude of ways of doing it in which he is doing his transforming work. But most often he does it through his children or as uh, the commercial world calls it. God transforms through satisfied customers. Are you a satisfied customer? We find these transformed uh, lives all over the world. And and for the last 2,000 years, we find transformed lives throughout history. And our prime example for these weeks is the historical character of Saul, or as we came to know him later, Paul. When he was with the Jews, he was Saul. When he was with those who were not Jews, most of the rest of the world... Uh, He was called Paul. And the Bible makes it crystal clear that Saul's transformation is not by accident. It wasn't that he happened to be in a certain place at a certain time. It wasn't that he made a wise or deep decision about God. But God stepped into his life. It was a divine intervention. And for those of you who put your trust in Christ, understand that God has been working on you and he has made an intervention in your life so that Jesus, his son, makes sense to you. Saul persecutes Jesus until Jesus confronts him and he powerfully introduces himself to Saul. Saul thinks that he's really persecuting Christians until the only friends he's got left are fellow followers of Jesus who themselves are transformed, and they bring Saul into their community with lots of love, and they each have to overcome their great fear of this Saul because he might bring harm to them. But this is all part of God's plan for bringing Saul into the faith and bringing Saul as one who would be reaching farther to others so they might be transformed. God has a plan for his creation. And Saul fits, uh, fits into it. Do you understand if you are in God's plan for you yet? Because it all really deals around this magnificent God who has a plan. And when I say plan, understand I'm talking about a huge plan, but also smaller plans. So while Saul recovers from his vision of the risen Christ, he remains blind for three days. That is a physical sign, but also, uh, you might say, a, a 
spiritual sign that his core beliefs have been shaken and he is blind to these new beliefs. But God speaks to a Christ follower named Ananias to activate Saul's recovery and his spiritual transformation. Now, I believe that God has created the entire universe by the unlimited power of his will. He just had to believe it, to want it to happen, and to speak it, and it happens. And God creates it with care and perfection and orderliness so that we look at creation and we realize it all fits together. It was by plan, not by accident, that something could be so perfect. So we look out into the what we think is an expanding universe and we realize God started that off. But last in his plan, God also creates humanity. And he never says when he creates the universe, well, that was fun. Now what do I do? Maybe I'll make a human. And he never says when he makes humans, boy, that was a bad start. I think I'll just wipe it all away and start all over again. When he makes his creation, he calls it good. And when he makes male and female, he says it is very good. And he gives humanity a purpose. Many purposes. One was to care for his creation, another is to populate the planet. But another one that is so great is that we are made to relate to God, that we're in his image. We're the ones who can best relate to him, and he made us for that purpose. We are all made for a purpose. All of us are made for a purpose. And each one of us is made for that purpose to relate to God. Saul is transformed by God to carry God's name, as it says in Acts chapter 9. But the Lord said to Ananias, go to this man. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. God's plan for Saul is simple, carry Jesus' name. A transformed Saul, transformed by God, carries God's name to those who do not know him. And we see who they are. Saul is especially put together to work with the uh, non-Jews, but he also is a a Jewish scholar, so he can work with the Jews. And God's going to send him before leaders of, 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 of foreign governments. That is God's plan for Saul. To take God's name in Christ to people who would never hear it from the Jews. You see, the Jews uh, usually avoided the non-Jews. They thought they'd get dirty by being around them. So God's plan for transformed Saul is to be less Jewish and more Christian, to seek out those non-Jews, Gentiles as they're called, and, and the Jews, and to tell them about Jesus. And for the rest of his life, this is what Saul does. You know, we believe that Saul lived about another 30 years after his transformation, his first Uh, meeting and shaking with God. And that out of these 30 years, he spends about the first 10, first decade, learning about this new Christ that he knows nothing about, how Christ is God's Messiah and God's Son. He's learning. He's isolated. We also believe that he's stuck in his hometown for most of those 10 years. We finally know that God's call is not necessarily to punish him, but to experience what it means to share in the sufferings of Jesus. What do I mean by that? 
Saul goes through a lot of um, uh, a lot of persecution himself, and having been a persecutor, we might say, "Well, he's getting what he deserves. It's it's equality. It's re, re, uh, re, reciprocity. It's karma. It's payback." God looks at it differently. The call of God is not to punish Saul. The call of God is not to get back at Saul or getting even at Saul for what he's done in the past. The call of God is to carry his name to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and the leaders of the world. Then for the next 20 years, we believe that's exactly what he does. He goes to places where he is only known by reputation as a scholar and a debater and a passionate follower of Jesus. So passionate, he'll follow Jesus at all costs. So God is placing him in situations with the Gentiles, as he did with his son, with the Jews. And each of them has found great, uh, you might say, opposition. Passionate opposition. So much so they desire to kill each of these who bring God's name to them. And so for the rest of his life, Saul dreams of reaching farther. And God gives Saul dreams to reach farther. And Saul's transformed dreams are fulfilled through the power of God that his human dreams of eliminating faith in Christ could be done only by himself and be done very poorly. Saul becomes a success in his dreams when he's transformed by God. So follow in the book of Acts as God's plan for Saul to reach further is blessed and actually pushed on by God. And one of the first groups that he touches is the needy. So it says in uh, Acts chapter 11, after Barnabas finds Saul in his hometown and brings him to Antioch, where all these Gentiles, all these non-Jews, have uh, heard about Christ and turned to Christ, so it's mainly a a Gentile church, Uh, Barnabas goes and brings them back, and they they teach there for a year, and he uh, he helps ground all these people in a faith that they know very little about. But while they're there, a prophet speaks to them and says, there's a severe famine that's about happened in Judea, including Jerusalem. And the non-Jews whom God has transformed decide they're going to collect a gift, a financial gift, to take to the Jews. Now understand what's going on here. It is those new Christians who are not accepted by the Jews... It's these new Christians who are going back to the Jews and it's a sign of real transformation. We don't care about those who maybe don't care about us. Let me say that again. We do care about those who maybe don't care about us. We do care because we are in the family together and transformed people will look after the needs of those who have needs, the physical needs, the financial needs. We feel compassion for them. We care about them. And as we call ourselves Christians, we feel for the needy of God's creation. And we get involved. We understand God cares. If God cares, so do we. It's all over scripture. He cares for the needy. He cares for the poor. He cares for the widows. He cares for the orphans. He cares for all of those who are marginalized in their society. That's why here at Bergen Park Church, we say we want to partner with some ministries in our area that seem to have a special knack for caring for the needy. And we would invite you to get involved in these ministries. There's Evergreen Christian Outreach. 
I buy food, a little food for them monthly, and make a small donation. And we need a larger team to unite with that local ministry that focuses on the physically needy um, and financially needy. We support the Mountain Area Pregnancy Center. We have several volunteers working with them. And we find that that is a great ministry of caring for parents and young children uh, who have the, the, issue, the issue isn't special needs, but they're under great stress. And they need help, not just counseling. But man, would a free bag of diapers really help them? Things like this. We support the inner city school, a private Christian school in Denver that ministers mainly to minority, poor children, and try to give them a, a, a Christian education that Denver public schools won't allow. All of these are ways in which we say God's heart for the needy we share. We also have had a ministry for over a decade with the abandoned children of Romania called Mercy Ministries. These children are now in their mid-twenties. But still as they reached adulthood, they're still poor. They're racially ostracized. They need hope and they need encouragement and they need training for their lives. All of these we believe were sharing God's heart. All of these, we understand that God's involved and he's raised up a team here and we invite you to to look into these and say, would you participate in this team? And you might say, well, that's not the needy I care about. We have a phrase here. We say, get a vision. There's another group that you want to support. Get a vision for it. Then we say, get a team. No Lone Rangers here. Lone Ranger had Tonto, okay? He wasn't the Lone Ranger. You get a team. You get permission, you talk to the leaders of the church, and then you get going. We're more than willing to to expand that, but we don't want to let any of these go at this time. And we would invite you, because there's a card there at the Connect Center that tells you all of the ministries that we're involved in, both here locally and, and overseas. So there's a understand God's heart is always for the needy. But God also has a heart for the spiritually needy, whom we call the lost. So here they are. They're in this church in Antioch. And and Saul and Barnabas have taught him for a year. And Saul is the teacher. And Barnabas is sort of the encourager. He's probably not a teacher by uh, by trade. But he's a great uh, encouragement, very generous. Uh, He's the type of guy that you'd love to just sit down and and you'd say, Barnabas, tell me what a great guy I am. And he would. We all need those people, don't we? Yeah, and so we tell you, you're a great guy, and here's what I see in you, and keep going. So they are there in that church, and they have spent quite a bit of time there teaching these new believers. And then God speaks up again, as for a second time. First time through a prophet, this time through prayer. And it's dangerous to pray. I just want to say that. It's dangerous to pray, and I'll say it again. It's dangerous to pray. Um... And while these leaders are praying, and most of them are not Jews, it says the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So they fasted together, they confirmed together, then they placed their hands on Barnabas and Saul, they added a third by the name of John Mark, and then they sent them off. Now understand, when you look at what God has called Saul to, a very specific plan, 
to this point, he's not really accomplishing it. He's coming to the end of that first season uh, of being a believer and entering the next season, the next 20 years, which he'll probably do until he dies. And it's specifically aimed at the lost. So after God speaks again and they're sent off, they go to this uh, island of Cyprus. And here's the, you know, you, you can see what this, uh, what this pattern is because it's repeated time and time again. They go to Cyprus and the first thing they do is they go to the synagogues to speak to the Jews. Pretty much every time where there was a synagogue or Jews meeting, that's what they would do. They would start with the Jews. You remember that plan in chapter 9? Okay. And to the Jews. So he speaks to them. Some get mad, some believe. He finishes that and he says, now it's time to go to other places. And then they start to speak to the Gentiles. Those who didn't come from a Jewish background. The Greeks and the Romans and everybody else except Jews. And they speak to the Gentiles and then finally it says back there in Acts chapter 9, and to government leaders. And this is the pattern no matter where Saul seems to go, to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and usually not by choice, but because he's arrested, to the leaders. Now, you might not like getting arrested. I don't care for it myself. I don't have a lot of experience. But I, you know, that's not the way I look forward to, you know, to sharing Jesus Christ. But for Saul, it just seemed to always happen that way. Because Wherever he gives the gospel, some people get excited both passionately for and passionately against, and and and, and there's a schism going on, first in the synagogues, but also in the communities. So as he's there speaking, uh, he finds himself in front of the government leader of the whole island. The whole island. And he's beginning to share about Jesus because they want to know What's going on here? I want to say this. For Saul, is that a great plan or what? Could you think of anything better? My own people, all the people, and especially government. Say that in an election year. Especially government. Here at Bergen Park Church, we have ministries that are focused on the lost. It's, it's total care but we realize we want to be touching those who do not yet know God, who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and we want to help them in that journey. There is no better ministry reaching uh, students here in our community than Young Life. And so we have many volunteers, and they're always looking for volunteers. Volunteers not to do the business, but to touch the lives of high school and junior hires. Overseas, we have ministries in France and Spain. And you want to get something risky? Go up to Nick Donoff. Go up to Nick Donoff. Because Nick Donoff goes to parts of Asia where he knows wherever he travels, he's probably being watched by governments, government leaders, police, whatever, just to make sure. You know, as he goes from place to place and he meets with these leaders in places like Vietnam and Cambodia and and, uh, uh, Myanmar and, and Thailand... He realizes that as he meets with them, he's not alone. I mean, God's with them, of course, but they're being watched. I think that's uh, fairly risky. But they're just like Saul. 
Just like Saul was always being watched, so is Nick today. Wait, let me ask. If you were to say, this is my mission. I believe that today this is the mission that God is calling me to. Who would it be? You don't have to go to Myanmar to be involved in God's mission. Many of you have neighbors that don't believe. You build a relationship with them. You look for the opportunities. Some of you are praying for your family members daily that they would trust in Christ and follow Christ. You have those that you work with. You have families uh, of your children's friends, those of you who have school-aged children. Uh, you can be involved, involved in volunteering in the community. Maybe that is God's mission for you this season. Maybe you have an interest. Did you know that 96% per, uh, of people in the Evergreen area say one of their greatest interests is Reading. Reading. It's good to be in the 4%, don't you think? They love reading. They just love to read. But we also are in, a, you know, in, in an area where we, we worship our recreation. We love our art. And maybe those are the communities you're being called to. You're already in them. Now you have to see as, as your mission. You may be the only Christian within reach of these people. You may be the only one. So the issue is, will you reach farther? Will you continue to be involved in those relationships? There's a third group that he writes about that wasn't a promise, but it seems like it happens all the time with Saul. The opposition comes from other religions or, 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 or demon worshipers. Uh, while he's in Cyprus and speaking to the uh, to the government leader, there's this man named Elymas around them in chapter 13. And it says this, But Elymas the sorcerer opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul uh, from the faith. Then Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You child of the devil. I haven't used that one in a long time. You child of the devil and the enemy of everything that is right, you will now be blinded. And the power of God sat on that sorcerer, and he was blind. Wow! I I just wish I could have been Barnabas. I think even his jaw would be dropping to the ground. Wow! You know, and when, when there's a power encounter between the, the forces of evil and the force of good, you know, and God's force of good, guess who wins? God will win. Well, uh, my power encounters tend to be people who have, you, you know, uh, they, they've deceived themselves. Let me just share some of the wonderful uh, conversations I've had uh, from many people from many spiritual backgrounds. I love spoon-bending Scientologists. I love them. And when I sit down and they start talking to me all that they're doing, and I say, well, what's the power you tap into? Well, it's myself. I love the philosophical elitist. Oh, you're a pastor, and they look down at me and say, you don't know anything, and I've probably read more than they have. And I've had great conversations with them because I like to say these three or four questions that secular philosophers will never be able to answer. 
spend an afternoon with the Baha'is. That was fun. You know, everything is syncretistic. It all flows into one. Oh, and they start to chant and whatever. And I said, what were you before you Baha'i? I was a Methodist. No one. No. I didn't mean that at all. But they were dissatisfied with what they saw of the Christian faith. And they were looking for something more. The same with jaded mainline church members, Satan worshipers, self-worshippers are what we really are faced with here in the United States. And the one thing that each of these shares in common is this. Jesus is just another guy. That's where they want to settle. Jesus is great, great teacher, but he's just another guy. Some would say, it's just a rumor of another guy. Some would say, he died. So he's just another dead guy. Uh, you know, there'd be all sorts of uh, ideas that come out, you know, about who this Jesus is. But it gets down to this. He may be a great guy. He may be an, imagine, an imaginary guy. He may be a deluded guy. But he's just a guy. He's not God. And I have that all around me. And I, I just love to say this. Where is he and who is he then? And off we go. And it's just a wonderful conversation. I work hard at not winning, you know, but just injecting things to get him to think. I, I want to say this. This is my call. This is my mission. I really believe this. Because as I sit down with people, uh, they leave saying, well, let's do this again. So I'd love to. More than that, um, they leave and they're not angry at me. Um, and can I say this? When I finish a session like that, I want more. I want more. I mean, I want to say, I'm free in two hours. Can we meet again then? I want more. Chances are that there is also a mission that you have. God has gifted you in it. It honors God it, it, it is fruitful. You find that the more that you do it, the more people respond. And the more that you do it, you want more. Because you realize you're sort of a link in a chain where people are turning their lives over to Jesus. That's, I believe, God's mission for me. Here's how Saul talks about his. He's, he's, he's just about ready to say, look, I'm going to prison. I think this will be the last time. He's sitting with some of his best friends in the city of Ephesus, which we're going to start studying next week. And as he's sitting with these leaders, he says this, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He finishes with that same thought with his best friends. And then he says, I will never see you again. That's what he's caught up in. Can I ask, do you know what God's mission is for you this season of your life? For some of you, you never go have to, have to go outside your front door. It's right in the home. And love it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it till they move out and then move back in again. No, uh, love it and enjoy it. It really is a special season. But also the chances are it'll, it'll be broader because your kids know kids. And there they are. They're there with you. 
It might be as simple as, simple as saying, you know, we're, we're enjoying church. Would you like to come with us? And if you are unsure of what this mission is, no matter what stage of life you're in, if you're unsure, may I just say begin to pray. That's all. I believe that if you continue to pray, God's going to point out opportunities and you'll be sensitive to them and you realize, I'm right in his mission. I'm doing exactly. I want more. I'm being used by God. And there's no better place that he would have you be. Here it is. In in your uh, programs it says, God's mission for me this season is. God's mission for me this season is. You can be vague. But I want you to begin to focus on that diagram where you say, I'm reaching farther. I'm going, not not just maybe to new people, but I'm going to be more intense, uh, more devoted, more focused on what these relationships are. Let's pray together. Father, what a wonderful discovery that Saul wasn't weird. But he was on a mission that you gave him. And because you're God, you fulfill us by also showing us the missions we have. We're not asking to go to jail. We're not asking to be executed for our faith. But we're simply asking, make us aware. Who are they? What do I need to do? To get to them. And Father I pray for each of us. That that would simply be. Part of our discovery of how you're transforming us. We want to be on mission. Your mission. Designed. For what you put into us. Not just your creation. But your new creation in Christ Jesus. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name, God's people said. Amen.